I love how God orchestrates our steps. We um, went to Josh Mullen. Some of you know him. Some of you don't. Most of you don't. Wedding yesterday at Central Church where he is, and and he he's kind of an associate pastor there, and because um, he preaches from time to time and so forth. And he met this amazing woman, Missy, through the Jays band. I guess she was the, the nurse. Do you remember Missy the nurse when you were in Jays band? They didn't need a nurse, that's why. <laughs> Melissa, but anyway, so they met because Josh's son was in band. And yeah, that's right, because Josh's son's not graduated from college, so I would have before you. But, but anyway. And they started this thing and so forth, and Chris and I had him over, and, and, I, and I hang out with Josh from time to time. And they decided to get married. Now, personally, I think Josh married up, and I've, I've been very clear with him that he did. But what I'm talking about is first how we didn't know anybody there. Well, there's two people that knew, that we kind of casually knew. And uh, they both go to one from Colorado, that uh, a good friend. But the point is, we didn't know anybody, and we just sat down at a table. And before long, this couple came, and and then this other guy came, and we found out that this other guy was this couple's son. And it was really interesting because we both went to Fox High School. We both. I lived in Arnold. Uh, his wife lived in Herculaneum, so she was a herky-jerky. That's what we called them. <coughs> and we both skated in the cave skating rink, which is a, a skating rink inside a cave in, in Festus Crystal City area. And it was just fun to talk, and they, they loved the Lord, and we just had a, had a good time. So if you, as you put yourself out there, just start talking to people. It's, it's amazing what you may just run into. Okay, but it was really a good time. So as you can see, the thing up there says, the Beatitudes, the poor in spirit. I've really been praying, and I actually wrestled with the Lord a little about this, because I, I went through this a while back here. And, but God wants us to get out of this place. But guess what? As, he, as we get out and we associate with people, who does he want us to exhibit? Jesus. And the Beatitudes are a great thing that explains who Jesus is. So let's just get into it. And who we are being formed into, by the way, also. <coughs> so Father, I ask that you just be with me that you strengthen what I say, and that you give me the very words to say. And, and as always, I pray that anything that's not of you would fall on the floor before us, and that which is of you would pierce our hearts. And the church said, Amen. It's important for us to understand who we are. It's important for us to exhibit the characteristics of Christ for two reasons. One, 
as we as the family gets stronger and stronger so we can encourage each other and strengthen each other but also so when we go out and we see people and we meet people what do they see love jesus is love the father is love and then we accept people where they are we don't try to judge them it says judge not unless you be judged we don't try to to uh, look down upon them, but we just love them and let the, let the light of Jesus shine through and where we have the opportunity to share Jesus. And that's really what the Beatitudes is getting to because this is nine verses that are just extremely powerful. The first nine verses in uh, uh, Matthew 5 are what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Um, or if you want to re relate it to the chosen, it's it's what's getting ready to start at the end of season two and starts at the, at the beginning of season three. But let me just read them to you. Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are per persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you, others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, known as the Beatitudes, the, first, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That word Beatitude, when you look it up in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, it says, Declaration of Blessedness made by our Savior, happiness of the highest kind, consummate bliss. In the Anchor Bible Dictionary, it states that the root word for the Beatitude means blessed or happy. And the Latin Vulgate, says the, the blessedness of those who have certain qualities or experiences peculiar to those belonging to the kingdom of heaven, which are those who are following Jesus. As I said earlier, these nine verses, these nine beatitudes, really exhibit who Jesus is. But it's not, the purpose of it isn't, just to show us who Jesus is, the purpose of it is, is to help us to walk in a way to gain the traits that are exhibited in Jesus so that they are exhibited more and more in our lives as we walk through life and grow, draw closer and closer to Jesus always running a race that is set before us. And as we do, I believe joy will increase. I believe God's blessings will increase. Happiness and power and unity and all kinds of other things will increase as 
as it produces more and more fruit in our lives as we follow the Beatitudes. We are called to demonstrate the Beatitudes. In other words, we are called to to be the attitudes, the, the Beatitudes, to follow Christ in such a manner that we are the to-be's. And we can do that because of God's grace. We can do that because God has given us, us his grace and it is manifested within us so that we can grow, grow in these. Have you ever heard or had somebody ask you the, uh, the, the question, isn't Christianity really for those that can't make it alone and need help? Isn't Christianity really a crutch? Has anybody ever heard that question? I've heard it. Well, here's what you can, how you can answer. Yes. Say yes. End of subject. No further discussion needed. Why is that a problem? To say that we need help. Why is that a problem to say that, spiritually speaking, we can't make it on our own? Why is it a problem to say we need somebody to walk with us, to show us the way. The world would say, yeah, well, that just shows how weak you are. And again, I go, yeah. Truth is, I am. Truth is, I need help to walk out this thing called Christianity. The truth is that I can't do it by myself. And there's nothing to be embarrassed about that. The truth is, we need Jesus. Whatever we're doing, wherever you're working, whatever you're doing in life, you need Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're working remotely by phone. It doesn't matter if, if you're in the military. It doesn't matter if you're working in an office. It doesn't matter if you're a lineman. Whatever we're doing in life, we need his help. The problem is, and I think it's a big problem with this country, <coughs> is that we don't always see needing help as something positive. But instead we see it as negative because we're not macho, we're not doing it by ourselves. I mean, you know, you know the old joke, a man never asks for directions. Well, it's really true now that we got GPS, we just plug it in and it gives us directions. Here's the truth, folks. We need errands and hers in our lives to hold up our arms from time to time so we can continue to walk through. Because we live in these mortal bodies, they get tired. We live in these mortal bodies that can be distracted by things of the world. And we need people to come along beside us to once again help us to point towards Jesus. 
See, it's real easy to become a doer. And sometimes I think it's a lot easier to be a beer. Remember Mary in Luke 10.42 when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was in the kitchen and Martha was complaining about, hey Jesus, tell my sister to get her body in here to help me. And do you remember his response? She's chosen the better part. She chose to be a beer, to be in the presence of the living God instead of being a doer. Sadly, admitting that we need a crutch at times gives some people heartburn. And even more sadly, sometimes it gives Christians heartburns. And here's the reason. <clears throat> because it's offensive to our self-sufficiency. It's offensive to our personal pride. It's offensive to our arrogance. Mark 2.17 I love this verse, and I'm going to read it from the New England Translation. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have, to come, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. In other words, those who know they need help. Those who know they can't do it by themselves. That's why Christians came to Jesus, because they realize that they're sick, that they need help. I mean, what was Jesus' earthly ministry all about? It was about helping people, especially helping people who were lost spiritually, who couldn't do it by themselves. And he would come along, and he would help them. He would encourage them. He would strengthen them. He would speak words of healing to them. that they needed a savior, that they needed to be in relationship. And that's what Jesus is really doing here with the Beatitudes. He's teaching, he's telling us how we can walk in excellent spiritual help. So let's get started and start looking at them. First one is Matthew 5, 3. And this is like the significant one. This is the one that the others are all built upon. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's look at some uh, key words there. Blessed. The Strong's, words, the Strong's word there is makarios, which possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God, being happy. Possessing the favor of God. Poor. Lovinida uh, Dictionary Patohas is describing one who is humble with regard to his own capacities. People who are happy because they recognize they need God. Now think about what was just said. They're happy because they understand that they need God. How many people do you know? How many people do you see on the national front that are angry, that are not happy, that have no relationship with God. At least that it would appear not to. Spirit. Strong's word is pneuma. The vital spirit or life 
the principle of life residing in man, the breath breathed by God into man, and again returning to God, the spiritual entity in man. And the fourth one uh, is the kingdom of heaven. And you look at the dic dictionary of theological terms, it said God's kingdom is the kingdom of heaven because it is heavenly in its origin and authority. And the Webster's 1828 says, it's the reign of the Messiah, the state of glory in heaven. Blessed are those who of, uh, of us who have been become convinced that our spiritual poverty is at the point that we cannot do it and we recognize the need of God. The whole time that Randy Haber was witnessing to me and I was just going, go away, go away, go, go away. I was convinced that I was capable of doing it all by myself, that I didn't need anybody. And when I came to the place where I realized I couldn't, where I realized that there was no way I could approach God by myself, I went to Randy and said, tell me about this person, Jesus, in effect saying, be my Aaron, be my her, hold my arms up. Matthew 5, 3 again, but I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then I'm reading Matthew 5, 3. It's my uh, version of the Bible. And as I read it, you're going to be glad that I didn't write the Bible because it would be about six or eight times as thick as it is. Blessed are those who understand there is a great lack of any Christian values in themselves, that they are helpless and powerless to achieve eternal life within and of themselves, that they need a Savior, and as they accept him, they shall receive the favor of God and reign with him in their heart and life, both now and eternally. The only way that we have eternal life in heaven and in bliss is if we turn to Jesus and we say, help, help, I can't do it. I need you. I need you to be my Savior. I need you to be my Lord. But how's the world look at it? I mean, it screams just the opposite. Blessed are the rich. I mean, who do you see in the news? The billionaires. Blessed are self-sufficient. Blessed are self-starters. Blessed are those that are strong and, and can do it themselves. Blessed are those who are strong and don't need anybody. Right? They're miserable. But we need to understand this beatitude because it's how God works. It's not how the world works. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. This beatitude of necessity is the one which must come at the beginning for the good reason that there is no entry into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God apart from it. There is no one in that kingdom of God who is not poor in spirit. It is the fundamental characteristic of the Christian and, and of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And all other characteristics are, in a sense, the result of this one. In other words, all the other ones build upon this one. That's why blessed are the poor in spirit is at the beginning. Because blessed are the poor in spirit is really 
and emptying of ourselves. That is not only necessary, but is mandatory. And it continues after we become a Christian. It's while the Beatitudes that follow are this one, where this one is an empty, and the ones that follow are adding to us, are filling us back up. But we cannot be filled up. We cannot receive those if we have not emptied ourselves of understanding who we are in comparison to God. And I'm not talking about personality. <clears throat> I'm not talking about per possessions. I'm not talking about your riches, your money. I'm not talking about your cars, your houses. I'm talking about a spiritual thing. It's about the poverty of spirit. Ultimately, being poor in spirit is all about our attitude towards ourselves. Are we going to walk in pride and arrogance? Are we going to see who we really are in comparison to God? Because when we do that, we run to God because we realize we need Him. Not only that, but we realize that we want him. So I'm going to do something unusual I've not done before. The Bible gives us many scriptures. Talks about many men and women of God and what they thought about this poverty of spirit. Though they don't use the word poverty of spirit, they understood it, and you can see that by their actions. And you can see that by what they say. So I just encourage you to sit back, to so relax. If you want to close your eyes, don't fall asleep. And just listen to these people and what they had to say. Abraham, Genesis 18.27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, and I who am but dust, and ashes. Jacob in Genesis 32.10, I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Moses in Exodus 3.11, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. David in 1 Chronicles 29.14 But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus to, to offer willingly for all things come from you and of your own have we given you. Solomon in 1 Kings 3.7 And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or how to come in. And in Job, in Job 42, verses 5 to 6, I have heard of you by the hearing of the, of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah 6, 5. 
And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it goes into the New Testament. John the Baptist in John 1.27 and also 3.30. 1.27 says, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose handle I am not worthy to untie. And 3.30 he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. The tax collector in the back of the temple in, in Luke 18.13, while he was beating his breast, said, But standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The centurion with the sick servant near death in Luke 7, 6 to 9 says, And Jesus went with them, and he was not far from the home. And the centurion sent friends and saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And the Canaanite woman with the daughter who was severely oppressed by a demon in Matthew 15, 27 said this. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Peter, when he had a great catch of fish, after fishing all night and catching nothing, in Luke 5, 8 said this. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Paul, I'm going to read several here. Romans 7, 18. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 1 Corinthians 6, 7, 6 and 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for an eternal life. Even in the book of Revelation, when John saw, what did he do? He fell. What did the four and twenty elders do when they came into the presence of God? They fell before him. We have to understand God is infinitely greater than we are and that he is God and that we are not. Do you notice how these people I read are people who are well known in the Bible, who did amazing things? All of these people, when in the presence of God, saw who they were 
and in comparison to God. They understood that they had imperfections. They understood that, yes, that, that even though, especially in the New Testament, even though they were born again, they still had the sinful flesh. And then in the presence of God. It's my, it's my belief that when a person is slain in, spirits, in the spirit, that they have come into the presence of God and they fall before him. That's my explanation. These people demonstrated poor in spirit. Now, I know we live under the new covenant, and I know we have been born again, and I know that we have who, th who Jesus thinks of us, how, how the triune God thinks of us, that we're holy and, and we're set apart, we're righteous, we're you know, righteous children of, of the living God because he has made us that way. But we must never forget who we are in comparison to God. I'm not saying that we walk around like, oh, I am not worthy to do anything because I'm not suggesting that. If you think that's what I'm saying, then you're missing the point. Because he gives, well, what I'm saying is for us to do what God has called us to do, go to him, let him equip us. Let him fill us with his wisdom. Let him release his gifts into us so, so that what we do is in the name of the Lord and we do it better then we can do it ourselves. See, I believe that as we understand who we really are, when we go to him, for him to fill us, that we will begin to walk in joy. We will begin to walk in happiness and power and peace and kindness and healing. Do we find this in the world? I don't see it. And sadly, sometimes we don't find it in the church. These folks we just read are giving us a huge clue on how to walk in the joy and the peace and the presence and the giftings of the Holy Spirit of the living God. That they understood that compared to God, there's a moral uncleanness within us. In the presence of God, there's a sense of personal unworthiness. Now we, as people in the New Covenant, can then go, but he has made us. And that's a joyous and glorious thing. Ultimately, being poor in the Spirit means a complete absence of self and pride. Who here wants to get rid of all absence of self and pride? A complete as absence of self-insurance and, and selfishness. I, I just want his assurance. I want him to assure me of who I am. That God's wisdom trumps ours. I want to walk in God's wisdom, not the wisdom of man, which is folly before God. That without God, we are powerless. This is truth. And we must recognize it. And we must deal with it. We must walk in it if the worship team wants to come back up.
we need to walk in the awareness, uh, and I love how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it, utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. We need to be people that when we're like Mary's, there's various Mary's in, in the Gospels, and we come before Jesus, that we do things like sit at his feet, that we anoint him with oil, and we wipe him off with our hair. In other words, that we serve him under with the understanding that he is greater than us. And yet, he fills us. He, he fills us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us the giftings that we need so that we can go forth. As we admit and walk in our poverty of spirit, there's some really great things that happen. We become blessed. We find pleasure, contentment, and good fortune as we walk in and become more and more who we are created to be. I believe we will be used mightily in the amazing power of God as the folks that we just read about. All those people that we read about that said that they were nothing in when they were in the presence of God, think about the great things that they did. We'll find unity, family, relationships, and God being glorified will occur naturally. We will walk in the power of God just as those that went before us that understood their poverty of spirit. And we will live and grow in a heavenly kingdom. All it takes is us understanding we can't do it ourselves. I can't do it. I, I stand before you as a, as a person who says, I can't do what I do by myself. I need the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. While confessing our sins and calling upon Jesus to our Lord and Savior. We do need help from time to time. Maybe most of the time, maybe some of the time, however that is, but we need help. But we're blessed because that help's name is Jesus. 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 Our sweet and glorious Savior, Jesus. So let's empty ourselves. Frank, can you just, oh, you got that one. Can you just play for a few moments before you do the song? I challenge each one of us to take a few moments and just go before the Lord and empty yourself. However you want to do that, to just say, Lord, if I've been arrogant, please forgive me. Lord, where I've been proud, please forgive me. Lord, where I tried to do it in my own strength, please forgive me. Lord, where I tried to do it with my own wisdom, please forgive me. And I ask that you fill me with your presence, with your spirit, because I want to do it your way. I want to, when I look at you, I understand that you are God and I am not. And I may fall on my face, but I know that you will strengthen me and that everything I do in your name will be done well 
because you filled me. So just take a few moments to be quiet before God and the worship team will lead us in the final song as the Holy Spirit leads. <laughs>